Welcome to the Policy and Planner English Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Laban. Today, we're continuing our look at reimbursement systems for telehealth, but we're stepping away from the tangle of current systems to take a walk down memory lane to Season 1, where we talked about value-based care. Now, a question that often comes up when we talk about telehealth reimbursement is whether this all belongs under a global budget or capitated payment model. At least, that comes up in my household. To be clear, that's in theory. We're dealing with the system we've got, but it's also a question worth entertaining. And for that reason, we're bringing back our global budgets expert from season one, who also happens to be my husband. Not much has changed, still an expert, still my husband, still forced to record podcast episodes over breakfast. Yeah, but I'll sound different. He doesn't. I'm Lawrence Miller of Five Vine Consulting. I was formerly the chief of health reform under Peter Shumlin, governor of Vermont, and for the last few years have been doing consulting for states and the transition to value-based payment models. Now let's have a quick recap on global budgets as a concept. Our current system began with fee-for-service, where providers get paid for doing stuff. But we don't really want to have a payment structure that incentivizes doing more stuff to patients. We want a structure that incentivizes patients getting well and staying well. And this is where creating a global budget comes in. When we say global budgeting, we're typically talking about taking a reasonable portion of a hospital's budget or a health system's budget, it could be an ACO, and capitating it, meaning we pay by the person on a risk-adjusted basis, and then the caregiving entity is responsible for all of the underlying costs. You might track fee-for-service, but for the most part, you're, you're really just getting a payment to keep people well. That aligns the financial interest of the hospital or ACO with reduced cost and higher quality. So far, so good. You're paid a predetermined amount to keep your patients in good health. In Vermont, it's easy to see how a global budget would have been useful when COVID-19 hit, because the most dramatic financial impact was a sudden drop in patient volume across the health system, and it's not clear when the visits will go back up. That meant practices were looking both to have those lost visit-based revenues replenished and to have payments that would allow for things like reaching out to patients to keep them engaged and not forgoing care. But even in the case of a medical surge, there are reasons a global budget system might be useful. Remember, there are risk corridors, which keep a sudden spike in expenses due to something beyond a practice's control, something like a pandemic, from immediately bankrupting the system. Assuming that breaker system works, global budgets might provide critical flexibility and reliability in responding to an unprecedented situation. If we had experienced a surge, it's hard to know whether or not staying with fee-for-service would have been indicated or not. We see a lot of chaos in the places that hit hospital capacity. Very difficult to keep up with the tracking systems that are necessary. Very, very difficult. It's so much easier to have a regular stable cash flow under those kinds of circumstances as well. Um, the global budgets would be very helpful. And remember, it's not just hospitals. Federally qualified health centers, other practices that work within an ACO model or a hospital-owned practice structure, those are well-suited to capitation also. Note how well I've trained him to add federally qualified health centers to his statements. Another, less catastrophic, place where flexibility for innovation is useful is when you're introducing new ways of doing business, like telehealth. In telehealth reimbursement, there's a lot of debate around something we've talked about before, 
which is the parity system. And that's where Vermont began. Services that can be performed just the same remotely get a parity payment for the remote version. Same work, same outcome, same payment. The efficiency benefit for these services accrues mostly to the patient, the person who avoided having to go in to see the doctor. But what about efficiency benefit to the healthcare system overall? A global budget significantly rewards the forms of telehealth that go beyond a digital equivalent to an in-person visit and instead look for better ways for the whole system to work, like the e-consults we discussed last episode. Telehealth has a lot going for it in the eyes of global budgeting. Well, broadly speaking, it's a lower cost, more efficient, more flexible delivery model for a lot of things that patients need than having to come in to the doctor or go to multiple doctors for different things. There's care coordination opportunities. There's telemetry that's coming available. There's a whole lot that prevents or helps avoid office visits. So, for example, a primary care doctor within a a global budget might more readily talk to a specialist before making a referral. You don't need to have the same sort of pre-authorization from the insurance company because the insurance company has switched that risk to the provider system. And because they're working on a stable budget model, have the opportunity to do things that are not tied to the traditional coding system. We know that when referrals are made to specialists under pre-authorization, even with prior auth, many of those referrals don't turn out to be necessary. When a primary care doc talks to a specialist ahead of time before sending the patient to that person, often what can happen is the specialist can guide the primary care doctor through the treatment. So there are a whole lot of inter-provider opportunities for telehealth consultation ahead of putting the patient to the inconvenience of going to see a specialist when it turns out not to be necessary. Reduces a lot of cost, also reduces a lot of hassle. A quick note that in this particular example, Vermont is in the process of turning on codes to allow for interprofessional consultations. But relatively few states have these codes available, and when they are available, they're often limited to one or two specialties. The other thing to keep in mind is that high-quality telehealth is probably a combination of in-person and remote care that works fairly seamlessly between the modalities. The idea of global budgeting is to look at your services as a whole and embrace combining tools in a way that improves care for everyone. After the initial telehealth visit, if a nurse or doctor thinks that in-person is indicated in that case, they can ramp that up. And if an office is using telehealth to help triage and help people avoid coming in, those people who do need to come in have a lot less competition for time slots. So they can be seen a lot more quickly. So it's important to understand that telehealth can't be used for everything, but it can be used for a great many things at a high quality and high convenience and make more space for the things that truly need an in-person visit. Okay, so we've got two different models of doing business that Vermont and other states were approaching slowly prior to COVID-19, global budgets and telehealth. We ruled out telehealth overnight when COVID-19 hit 
but we still need to transition to a sustainable model. And transition here is key. Here's Lawrence describing what an orderly transition might look like. So first, let's talk about the transition costs associated with moving over to value-based care. There's some capital costs associated with setting up systems and training people that are sort of one-time events. And then there's the question of how to change cash flow models from billing retrospectively to what are prospective payments. So there's a ramp. Uh, in, in most of the work that I've done, we contemplate bringing global payments online or capitated payments online as an offset to declining receivables at the provider. So as we're paying off those old bills, we start to pay more in the capitated model. So it's a seamless level transition. In the transition to telehealth, it's a similar type of thing. Well, you've got some initial costs for the equipment, the training. You've got some recurring costs for software, subscriptions, security, all of those things. You've got some costs associated with getting people up and up and running if there are patients who need equipment at home to be um, monitored. These would be complex care patients or people who are recovering from a surgery or something like that. The other thing you've got is that you've suddenly switched a bunch of your volume to something that is creating less flow through the office. And so there are staffing adjustments and workflow adjustments to be made. I wouldn't advise uh, an organization to anticipate significant savings up front. It's going to take time to realize those savings. You wouldn't go ahead and fire receptionists. They're going to be doing slightly different work. They will be pre-calling the patient, going through um, the checklists, screenings, the same way that they do when you arrive for your appointment with a doctor. But now we're in a place where we didn't have a full transition to global budgets, which more easily support telehealth. And we didn't have the luxury of an orderly transition to offering telehealth. Plus, that nice easing into savings from efficiencies, it worked great in theory before. But for the foreseeable future, those possible efficiencies may be eaten up by the need to just break even on patient access to health care. As we reduce how many people can physically be in a health center, bridge service gaps created by practices that can't reopen, and manage a significantly disrupted healthcare workforce. The downside of global budgets and telehealth is that while they were once moving along in tandem, COVID-19 tore up that timeline. So I see a downside in waiting for global budgets for telehealth implementation. Telehealth and other innovations are much easier within a global budget model because it's then within management discretion, and you're not arguing over what's the right rate for telehealth, what's the right rate for in-person, why are they different, or should they be different or not? Those are complex negotiations across multiple payers, which leaves a practice with a whole bunch of different rules, depending on who the patient is. Whereas when you convert to a global budget that covers all of these patients, the physician can simply say, I'm going to do the best thing for this particular patient in front of me. And the nurse can say, this is what's indicated. I'm going to do that. 
and they don't have to go back and look at what are the rules that this person operates under. I think that's really important flexibility. To the extent that that can happen in a fee-for-service model, it should happen now, and it should happen quickly. We're in this pandemic, I think, for a long time, you know, a couple of years. And so people are going to get used to having these tools available, and we need to have these tools available now more than ever. Our previous episode on telehealth and reimbursement explained why some practices still have no idea what they're going to be paid for this type of care. But the decision to find a sustainable option for telehealth has already been made, regardless of reimbursement system, partly because patients will want it to continue. It's a tricky issue during a pandemic, where some people had to use remote care when they would have preferred an in-person visit, but many were introduced to telehealth and realized they wanted this convenience permanently. And healthcare leaders can build on that initial impulse to open up further conveniences that help people maintain their daily lives in a disrupted time. I think the important thing to remember about all of the medical care transitions, all of the health support transitions that we're going through, is that we need to keep the patient at the center. If we save everybody a lot of time and a lot of hassle, and gas, and childcare expenses, time off of work to take their kids to the doctor. Those are massive savings that may not be immediately reflected in the reduction of healthcare costs. Those transition expenses may eat up some of those savings that people look at, but we really should be looking at societal savings from all of these things. Imagine a telehealth-enabled early childhood education center with a digital otoscope to be able to take an image of an ear and send it to a child's pediatrician, confirming a routine ear infection. You know, the parent can stop at the pharmacy on the way to pick up the kid, go home, everything's taken care of, as opposed to coming out of work, picking up the kid going to the pediatrician, going to the pharmacist, and finally getting home. You can seamlessly transition, and, and with many people now familiar with working from home, you can transition from your office, if you've got that kind of job, to pick up the kid, to go home, and be back at work in little more than your commuting time. So I think there are so many ways that it's important to look at these opportunities There's also a less rosy reason why the decision may have already been made, especially at a national level, where rural hospitals were in a much more fragile state than here in Vermont. What I think is important to recognize, though, is across the country, rural hospitals are incredibly fragile right now. And what is about to happen, I suspect, is that many will be put out of business by these events. That's going to put a lot of Americans further from available care. An ecosystem is necessary to support all of the practices that a patient might need. So there might be primary care clinics, but if a specialist requires a hospital nearby to do their work, they're going to move to where a hospital is. And so telehealth will become radically more important in much of the country. It's not a huge percentage of population in this country anymore, but the distances involved are vast. And time and risk associated with getting people to go hours for care. I think that's going to be a real big issue across the country. So as we look at telehealth models in a place like Vermont, where you're saving hmm, maybe an hour drive, 
you know, there are other places where we're talking about maybe being able to save many hours of driving or getting people access to care that they would otherwise go without. Telehealth isn't magic. You don't just invoke the word and suddenly everyone has access to care who might not have had it before. The way we'll need to use this tool moving forward is a lot different than how we've used it during the first wave of the COVID-19 crisis, which was truly a disaster response situation. And it's a national problem. Vermont is moving as fast as we can to pull the tools in to make the transition work. And that's something we'll continue to explore here on the Policy in Plainer English podcast. We thank our sponsors at Northern County Healthcare for making this special season exploring telehealth during COVID-19 possible.